0: So as we look uh, into decarbonization one of the key topics is uh, the alternative uh, fuels. And uh, looking ahead to 2050, uh, we are looking at zero emission alternative energy fuels, ammonia, hydrogen, methanol biofuels. And this panel is going to discuss exactly uh, about uh, these uh, alternative fuels. We are going to start the session with uh, a presentation by Mr. Jesse Fannestock. He is uh, the project director from Getting to Zero Coalition of the Global Maritime Forum. So Jesse is going to give us an overview of what is happening in this space, and then we will proceed with the panel discussion. Jesse, thank you very much for accepting to to do this presentation. Uh, I see that you have uh, a very interesting interesting study recently published, so we look forward to your uh, presentation.
1: Thank you very much, Nicholas, and and thank you for inviting me to participate, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, As you said, I I hope that uh, my presentation will serve as a relevant introduction. Uh, It's very much uh, at the macro overview level, as you said, and uh, I understand that the panelists will be able to provide a lot more uh, detail uh, and and more nuance to the the, uh, topics we're going to discuss today than I will, but hopefully this will be a useful overview. Um, As Nick. Nicholas said I'm a project director director at the Global Maritime Forum um, and I'm here to present uh, the findings from uh, the second edition of our mapping of zero emission pilot and demonstration projects which we do with the Getting to Zero Coalition. Um, Getting to Zero Coalition I I hope many of you will know um, we're we're a collaborative initiative between the Global Maritime Forum, the World Economic Forum and Friends of Ocean Action. Um, We launched in 2018 and we've currently got more than 140 organizations participating Um, from the whole maritime value chain and and from a number of industries relevant to to zero emission shipping. Um, The ambition of the coalition uh, is to to make zero emission uh, vessels commercially viable by 2030, put put briefly. In order to do that, we look at a number of different aspects in our work with with our member companies. Um, One of those uh, thematic areas is what we call motivating first movers. Um, and, And that's the area where we look at the innovation questions, where we look at pilot and demonstration projects, and we look at the enabling factors, the enabling environment for getting these, these uh, early action projects in place and creating momentum towards uh, towards the 2030 goal. This mapping, as I mentioned, is actually the second edition of a study that, that was first released in 2020. Um, in the first edition that we covered, we included 66 projects. Uh, and this second edition includes 106 projects. And since then we've begun to work on the third edition and we have even more. Um, so it's, it's a bit of a living study. Um, the projects cover the full value chain relevant to, to zero emission shipping. Um, so uh, we're looking at, at ship technologies, uh, we're looking at fuel production and, and bunkering and recharging systems as well. Um, we, we try and do a little analysis on the, on the projects that we find, uh, categorizing them in terms of where they are, what geographies they cover, um, uh, what the technological or fuel focus is, uh, what type of project it is in terms of uh, it, whether it's a concept study or a pilot or, or a demonstration in, in regular operations, um, and also looking at uh, whether or not it's, it's receiving public funding. Uh, I think I should say before we start that we we don't uh, make any claim to having done a comprehensive mapping. We know there are a lot of projects out there that we haven't been able to capture, um, but as you see from the increasing number, we think we're getting we're improving the coverage over time, and we really uh, welcome input from the industry uh, at large in terms of making this a more complete and useful study. So zooming out at the at the big picture at the global picture here, um, you know, we can see from the study that the, the center of gravity for, for innovation in zero emission shipping remains Europe. Uh, a little more than two-thirds of the of the projects included in the mapping uh, are, are based in Europe, uh, with a few countries, Norway, the Netherlands, uh, Denmark, and Belgium all having uh, more than 10 projects uh, included. Um, that said, there's been a significant increase in the number of projects based in Asia in this edition compared to the first edition. Part of that is uh, improvements in our methods, and we've, we've gotten better at searching for, for projects. Um, but we also think it reflects uh, a boom in activity in Asia, and I'm sure you'll all be aware of that, actually. It's, uh, it's, it seems definitely to be happening. <clears throat> if we want to take a look at some of the emerging trends that are visible in the study, um, one thing we can see is that for, for uh, what we call large ship projects, uh, there's uh, an increase in the uptake of, of ammonia uh, as, a, as a fuel focus. Uh, four new large demonstration projects added uh, since the the first study. Um, Ammonia and methanol both remain uh, very important in this space, but we've had a a significant uptick uh, in in the post-2020 project environment. We're also seeing a bit of specialization so that the small ship projects are um, moving more and more towards hydrogen and battery power and frequently a combination of the two. for onboard energy, Um, and uh, this seems to be uh, crystallizing over time, just like the focus on on hydrogen-based fuels is is becoming stronger in the large ships. Just to look at this sort of split between Asia and Europe, where between them, that that represents most of the projects in the study, although we had a few projects in other regions. <clears throat> about 80% of the projects in Asia, perhaps unsurprisingly, are focused on vessel technology, given the strong shipbuilding industry in, in East Asian countries, that's, that's perhaps not a surprise. Um, and Comparatively speaking, about 60% of the projects we included were, were ship-centric uh, in Europe. Um, among the Asian projects, uh, ammonia was the most common fuel focus, um, and indeed uh, more than half of the ammonia-centric projects that are included in the mapping were based in Asia. Looking at the fuel production side, uh, we see a continuing trend towards uh, hydrogen-based fuels, uh, largely sort of power to x fuels, uh, ammonia, methanol, hydrogen, um, and a little bit more static on the biofuels front. Um, This has something to do with our methodology in terms of what we define as a a, uh, pilot or demonstration project. Uh, Many many biofuels are are already uh, mature technologies, of course. Um, but we do think that the industry is is leaning in this direction, and uh, and at least on the on the innovation project side, putting its focus here. In terms of the projects themselves, what do we, what do we see that's happening with them? Well, uh, between the two studies in the six months between the two studies, we saw uh, uh, a significant number of studies that moved on to a new phase. So studies that we included in the first edition that actually went on to a new phase, scaling up, uh, increasing scope, uh, broader participation of partners, or increasing the size or, or moving to a more mature phase uh, where a concept study might become a pilot or, or a demonstration. Uh, we think this is a very positive sign that these, these uh, efforts are not ending up on, on a shelf or, or stuck in a lab somewhere, um, and we expect to see this trend continuing. Um, in terms of funding of these projects, a uh, little more than half of the projects have received some direct public funding. Um, the majority of this uh, originating in Europe. Uh, this of course uh, reflects also the, the different approaches in, in different geographies. And in, in many countries, uh, uh, state-owned uh, firms are involved. So there may be some implicit uh, public funding there, but, but not a, a publicly revealed uh, grant of the kind that, that might be common in Europe. Um, the largest awards of public funding uh, are going to uh, large-scale fuel production projects. And again, that probably is no surprise given the capital intensity of those projects. What are we going to do next? I already mentioned that we're going to moving to a, to a third edition. But we released this second edition in March. Um, and the, one of the main differences this time around as compared to the first was that we've made all of the data publicly available. So it's all available for download via the website of the Global Maritime Forum. Um, originally, we had produced the study for the Getting to Zero Coalition and only distributed it to our member companies. But now we've made it publicly available. And we hope that both the industry and policymakers will be able to uh, draw on the work. Um, to identify areas of strength or areas of weakness, places where more work needs to be done and potentially linkages between projects as well. We're, as I mentioned, we're, we're continuing to update uh, and we're hoping to also deepen the analysis so that the next edition, which we want to have out before the end of 2021, may include additional information about these projects, for example, around, around their findings uh, to the extent that we can include publicly available findings for these projects. That's all from me. I hope this provided a useful introduction and I, and I am really looking forward to the panel discussion to hear what some of the, the companies we've covered in this mapping are doing more specifically in this area.
0: Thank you very much uh, for giving us this broad uh, background. Uh, it really sets the um, landscape for the discussion that will follow. So again, thank you very, very much for uh, opening the session. And uh-huh. now we'll kindly ask, um, uh, the panelists to join us. Uh, I will uh, I will uh, thank all of you for joining us, Barrett, Claire, Jens, uh, Mark, um, and of course, Sverre. Uh, and um, I will turn it over to Sverre Bjorn, spending from Farnley's, who is going to moderate uh, this panel. Uh, it's a very high-level panel uh, with uh, uh, executives who are very active uh, right now in this project, who have voted with their dollars and with their strategy. So I'm particularly keen to uh, to, to this discussion. And thank you very much. Sveta, the floor is yours.
2: Thank you, Nicolas. And uh, thank you for giving me this uh, opportunity to moderate the, this panel. Uh, it's uh, sort of a daunting task, but... I'm I'm jumping into it, and thank you for Jesse for your presentation, which uh, was very interesting and uh, I think uh, the type of work and the type of the report you refer to is is very important uh, mapping and source for enabling, I mean, uh, players in this this, uh, industry to make informed decisions. So uh, let me introduce the, uh, the panelist. It's uh, Ms. Berit uh, Hinnemann, who is a Senior Innovation Project Manager with AP Mask. Um uh, She works with decarbonization. I'll, I'll try to keep these presentations quite short. Next, we have Ms. Claire Wright. who uh, is a Business economics, uh, economics Manager for Shell International, also deeply involved with decarbonization. Uh, Mr. Mark Cameron, Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer of Ardmore Shipping, uh, who has a long experience in, in operations and, and the technical side of the business, and uh, I'm sure he has some quite interesting things to tell about their activities. Mr. Pierre Brinkman, Vice President uh, Special Projects in Wil Willemsen Holding uh, in, here in Oslo, and uh, working very much on their hydrogen uh, uh, projects and, and efforts, and finally Mr. Jens Isma, who is a board member of Exma, uh, executive director of shipping in Exma in in Belgium, and has a long experience in shipping from both uh, Norway and abroad. Now, the challenge discussing alternative fuels or alternative fuels in the sense of decarbonized fuels or carbon zero fuels is that for the time or uh, for for right now uh, there are no uh, alternative fuels available in the quantities required by shipping whether it's it's local uh, cabotage or it's international shipping but the key or a key to all decarbonized fuels is, of course, green or blue hydrogen. Uh, and uh, how you are using the hydrogen as fuel, whether it's pure hydrogen, whether it's um, through a hydrogen carrier that is combusted, or even if it's a hydrogen, hydrogen carrier that is is um, uh, processed to yield hydrogen as fuel. Uh, There are concrete uh, initiatives and projects ongoing among the panelists, Uh, amongst others uh, Will Willemsen and Ardmore are seeking the hydrogen path, so to say. So I think I'll leave the word to to Mark and and speak a little bit about what Ardmore is doing and their initiatives.
3: Great, thanks. Hopefully I'm off mute, yeah. Um, thanks for the, the opportunity, and thanks for, for, the, for that introduction. Um, yeah, I think, broadly speaking, the way we, we choose to view this is that the time for sort of wait and see is now entering the phase of do and act. And by that, we mean that, um, whilst it's true that you say that, you know, the volumes of fuel that um, are required for shipping are not currently uh, available in the, in the broad markets, um fuel is available, alternative fuels are available. And the view that we've taken is to start smaller. And we understand that many of the big big representations here um, will have a view that the propulsive argument is the, is the real uh, main argument to, to, to solve the, the problem that we're talking about. Our view is that by starting smaller and looking at generators, um, you're able to really start the impetus that will that will encourage others to change. Um, our view is that every ship is is fitted with generators, and each ship has a very different characteristic for the amount of fuel that's 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 drawn on board for that. And by using a a technology that is that is um, based on methanol, and as you quite rightly said, using using methanol as the hydrogen carrier, um, you're able to to generate electricity with significantly reduced um, emissions today. Um, and One of the great benefits, of course, is that water carries hydrogen as well. But by combining methanol with with water, you've got a greatly enhanced source of hydrogen that's able to be used in a fuel cell. Now, I'm not saying that um, we're here to solve everyone's immediate problem. But what I am saying is that technology is available, methanol is available, and water is available. So we don't choose to take the argument anymore that wait and see is really the only option that's out there. The change is beginning, and uh, there's an enormous amount of active interest in, in that respect, so.
2: Okay, thank you. So uh, uh, moving on to, 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 to Pierre and and, and Willemsen, I mean, also focusing on hydrogen as fuel, but taking more direct path using hydrogen for combustion. Uh, can you comment on, on your activities, Peter, please?
4: Yes, very. And thank you all for allowing me to share some experience and ideas. Uh, just a few words about the history here. We are a deep sea shipping company. We've been around for 160 years. We've been all we've been through all these transitions of fuels and technology just, uh, from the sailing ships to coal to oil, and then now into zero emission shipping. And there are some historical facts that we can address in this. There's there's always a question, a lot of pros and cons in these shifts about technology, safety, and all this stuff. But the big picture is that it's all uh, enabled by technology, but it's driven by economy. You can't come along with this shift without the economy. And it's... All started in the short sea areas and then developed into deep sea after many years. And it took some anything from 15 to 50 years to make these ships. Now, if you look at today's situation, we as a deep, ship, a deep sea shipping company would not be able to take these on board the big ships at first. So we have uh, quite in in a uh, uh, new way. Williamson has been looking into the short sea market to get this uh, started. And we are engaged in different projects related to different fuels, liquid hydrogen, compressed hydrogen and LOHC. So uh, more concrete, uh, a project called Topeka is about two rover vessels to be built and be uh, fueled by liquid hydrogen operating on the West Coast of Norway. And we've got funds from the new Norwegian government and from the EU to run this project. And right now we are in the process of doing the design, looking at all the factors going into the project, but of course also looking at the business case where we have the cargo, because this is not a research and development project. This is a commercial operating vessel to be handling cargo for the offshore industry primarily. And we, while going through this, we learn a lot. I think there are very many people out in the shipping community take things for granted, but it's not. It's it's a lot of small issues that needs to be clarified and to be handled to be able to start building and operating and actually commercially operate a vessel with this kind of fuel. And by doing this exercise, also uh, we we are uh, besides learning a lot. Of course, we can also see that what directions we are moving into should it be combustion could it be fuel cells should it be this way of bunkering this way of bunkering and so forth and we don't have the answers but we are in the, in a very uh, we have a steady pace and a good momentum in this and we are actually very keen to start operating these vessels in about two and a half years
2: Okay, thank you. And um, I would like to move on to to, um, to you, Berit, uh, because my impression is that Merck is, so to say, fuel agnostic. Uh, but I've heard yourself in the past talking about the various options. So I, I'd appreciate if you could uh, tell a little bit about your the, the rationale behind how you uh develop your decarbonization activities
5: yes absolutely and thank you for having me uh on the panel so um so so yeah decarbonization is a huge challenge in front of us and in terms us that means decarbonizing our more than 700 container vessels and also a yearly fuel consumption of 10 million tons of fuel oil each year um, in the end of 2018, we announced um, our goal of being carbon neutral in 2050, and at that time it was a bit of a moonshot, but today we think that's possible and um, uh, we pursue several pathways to do it based on our analysis and based on a lot of work done um, by many to, uh, to see what is feasible for container shipping and also what offers a path for carbon neutrality. Today we already use biofuels in our fleet, and we sell carbon-neutral transportation, our eco-delivery product. Um, we will continue to do that, but we do see scalability issues there, and therefore we also do pursue other fuels. For methanol, the um, <clears throat> technical um, feasibility is um, already there, since there are methanol vessels um, operating. Uh, since there um, are vessels operating on methanol as a fuel out there. Um, and uh, um, there is no green methanol available at uh, large quantities, but um, there is a potential for the development of that. So this is something that we are pursuing. And uh, we also pursue um, ammonia, where the scalability potential is very interesting, but where um, today the technical feasibility uh, for the vessel is not yet there. So this is, I mean, we don't believe that there is a silver bullet solution, and this is also why we pursue different pathways to see what can bring us towards carbon neutrality and also um, I also agree very much with, um, uh, I think it was Mark who said it, that, I mean, uh, it is also time to act and to, to start doing something. And what we are doing and have recently announced is um, that um, we, we are building a carbon neutral feeder vessel that will go into operation in 2023. That vessel will be dual fuel, methanol and fuel oil, but we plan to fuel it on um, either biomethanol or e-methanol from the start to also Uh, to also kickstart the development of green fuels, because I think we have been talking a lot about the chicken and the egg problem and who does what first, Um, and by actually um, starting to do something, I think this is the way of breaking this chicken and egg situation, so that um, changes actually starting to happen.
2: Thank you. And and, uh, picking up on on one of the fuels you mentioned, namely ammonia and which uh, from uh, the the report uh, presented by Jesse, I mean, ammonia is, is, so to say, heralded as the the future decarbonized fuel for for shipping Um, and I mean, we could say a lot of things about uh, pricing, alternative fuel supplies, et cetera, et cetera. But I'd like to, to bring up uh, the question about ammonia to, to you, Jens, because Exmai is a big, big uh, gas carrier owner and operator. And uh, uh, the safety issues uh, surrounding ammonia is something that I feel has been uh, toned down uh, in, in relation to all the benefits of using ammonia. What, what, what do you think, Jens, about ammonia as fuel and the safety issues? Uh,
6: you know, we are unfortunately in this situation to reach uh, decarbonisation, that we, we are a gas carrier company and that we, uh, gas is obviously one of the uh, solutions uh, uh, for, to, to reach this goal. And, and uh, ammonia as the carrier for, for or hydrogen carrier is, is what we believe is, a, is a one alternative solution uh, uh, going forward. Of course, it is not there today because MAN has not, uh, uh, does not have the engine ready. They claim they will have it second half 24. But you know we have made a study with, together with Lloyd's and uh, on the ammonia supply uh, system and. And we have an approval in principle, together with Wurzela and Lloyds, uh, and we believe that the safety issues can be handled. I mean, we carry a few million tons of ammonia every day, so we know how to handle it. And, And the safety issues we have been handling for 30 years uh so you know the 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 safety issues we don't think is a major major issue uh, of course it's toxic uh you need to be very careful with, uh, handling ammonia in the engine room but with with double vault piping systems uh we believe this is should be a non, non-issue uh, with all the experience we have um and, and, you know, we are working with the flag to, to get these approvals, which is, of course, a, a, a one of the hurdles. So ammonia, we believe in. We don't think it's going to be, uh, so solve all the issues because it's, uh, it, there are some challenges. First of all, there is, it has to be green or blue. And secondly, there is a pricing issue combined with the fact that uh, the, the calorific value of ammonia is very low. So you need twice the volume to, to, to push the vessels through the water. So it, it, we believe in ammonia as a, as, a, as a solution for some of our vessels, some of our customers. But we also see some major challenges uh, to make it a, 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 the, the solution for, for all these deep sea shipping.
2: Thank you. And uh, moving on to, uh, uh, to Claire, uh, sort of representing one of the big uh, oil companies. Uh, please uh, tell us a little about uh, what you're thinking and where your focus is right now, please.
7: Thank you, Sverre. Uh, yes, I think in Shell we wear two hats. One is that as you alluded to we are a fuel supplier and we're helping our customers decarbonize we are also the second largest charter in the world so when we look at um, decarbonizing shipping we're looking at it through both lenses because we do have our own fleet that we need to decarbonize and in my answer I'll respond to some things that Mark, Pear, Jens and Barrett all said um, so when we're looking at it we look at the cost that Pear referred to, we're looking at what are other industrial sectors looking at that we can build upon for shipping? How can shipping leverage the infrastructure that is being developed for other sectors? Because one thing I think is clear is that shipping cannot absorb all of the cost of the transition. So when we look at, um, and Jesse referred to this in terms of those production projects, there's a lot of focus on hydrogen and certainly when we look at the other sectors that we supply fuel for like heavy industry power heavy duty road we see a lot of hydrogen projects in those sectors and therefore we do see the potential for hydrogen to be used in shipping Um, i think it was Jens referred to the issue of um, efficiency so when we look at it we're also looking at how do we use some of these lower energy density Um, fuels in shipping and therefore we have a big focus on efficiency because to use these fuels we will need ships to be much more efficient than they are today to deal with that volumetric issue we're also looking at safety Um, how do we make sure that fuels are safe and available in a marine environment
2: here now you seem to have frozen can anybody else hear me
5: we can hear
3: clarifying. Um, Svera, I think you're a little, a little broken, but we can hear clarifying.
7: That's a relief. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so we're looking at um, both the work that we need to do today to reduce shippings emissions today. And so last month we um, ordered 10 LNG fueled uh, VLCCs and we're installing energy efficient technologies like air lubrication, for example, on our latest series of LNG carriers. We're also doing the R&D for future fuels. And this is where Barrett referred to the chicken and the egg. And this is where we see the potential of fuel cells to overcome that issue, to enable a ship to transition with multiple fuels um, and not have to wait for the production and the supply of new fuels to be put in place globally that will help her overcome some of those issues. So we're also working on a fuel cell trial on a deep sea um, ship. Sveira, are you with us?
3: I think Smeira might've have, might have fallen off there, but I think, I think what you're saying there, Claire, makes a lot of sense. And, and I certainly agree with you about additional technology and I think it's really important that we all understand there's space for any kind of energy saving device in a future world. So it's not only about future fuel, it's about reducing the need to burn as much fuel in any capacity. Um, and that's where the, the broader technology interests are, are really welcome in, the, in this future environment.
2: Uh, sorry, everybody. Uh, clear froze uh, in uh, on my screen here, and uh, suddenly everything was lost. So I managed luckily to get back in again. So, 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 thank you for that. Um, one thing is, uh, I mean, uh, uh, some technology is not really mature for. It. But if you were to contract the new building today, uh, what would you go for? What would you, I mean, uh, what what options are there? What we've seen so far this year, I mean, contracting hasn't been brisk for the first quarter of 2021. But we see that um, half the large tankers ordered, uh, more than half the large container ships ordered, are all ordered with dual fuel LNG engines. But what what should one opt for today if you were to if if you had to place a new building order? And uh, what what do you think, Mark?
3: I think it it is a difficult question, and I don't underestimate the enormity of it. And I think you know, let's let's all be honest. At any point when someone's ordering ordering a ship today, there needs to be a real need for ordering a ship. And I think you know, uh, we have a history. Um, of not necessarily defining and understanding the need and rather just going out and being motivated by price and slot availability than what the industry actually needs. So overcapacity is our biggest enemy. So let's put new buildings in in, in that light. Um, I think though at the end of the day for us, uh, we're very interested in the methanol main engine uh, power source combined with a methanol fuel cell reformer. Um, we think that that's, that's where the real um, immediate opportunity lies. Now, a reciprocating engine today still requires a pilot fuel. Um, so a methanol engine is not just purely a methanol engine, it is also methanol with with some type of, of gas oil injection into it. Um, so it is it is still in, in its development. Um, it's not the final product, um, but it is a significant improvement over what you would what you would traditionally see in just burning a a pure diesel. Um, And this is why I come back to looking at it holistically and making sure that you do understand that uh, typically 20 to 25% of your fuel burn is on your generator. So take that into consideration when you're building a new ship as well and uh, look at the opportunity with, with any kind of um, uh, opportunity to look at, some of the, the the more variable components here and that's why i'm saying that if you are building a, a new ship today with a methanol uh, reciprocating main engine um that has the great potential to power your electrical source by using the same fuel type on board a ship and mm-hmm. having less need to carry multiple
2: fuel sources right yes uh, i mean if you- If if you listen to to the two big engine makers, I mean, yes, both of them are racing ahead now to develop the ammonia-fueled engine. But in the portfolio, they already got, I mean, methanol, they have um, LPG, they have LNG, as well as, of course, uh, fuel oil and and, and so forth. And my impression is that their goal is, I mean, the the end goal is not the ammonia-fueled engine, it's a fuel-flexible engine which can run on any single fuel or any mix of fuels. But uh, then again, I mean, uh, I think there's hardly a ship owner that would like to have um, a dozen different types of tanks on board for the types of fuels. But uh, and are there any of you, the other panelists that would like to express views on on what to go for in a new building today? Is it, is it matters of keeping doors open?
6: Uh, so I, I think, you know, first of all, the, the good news with this uncertainty that we're talking about is that less ships will be ordered, so that gives us a hope that we could have some good markets in the years to come. So that, <laughs> that's a bit of a side remark, but uh, <laughs> the, I think, you know, the only tangible solution you have today is, apart from methanol, is LPG or LNG. And, and, and that's what you see that, you know, I think 170 ships are on order now with dual fuel, with LPG or LNG. So, so the, the rest is more, uh, uh, I wouldn't say dreams, but it's, there are certainly uncertainties related to it when it comes to feasibility and so on. And of course, the, 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 there are also choices with shaft generators. Whether there is going to be cold ironing uh, to avoid the, the uh, 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 emissions import, so, you know. The, the, uh, and, and, and as as Mark said, you know, there are multiple solutions here, and, and this that's why it's it's a difficult choice what to build. And uh, 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 when you look at the, all the options today,
2: right? Yeah. No, I feel agree. bit it.
5: Uh, yes, I would also like to um, comment on what we are doing since we've recently announced that um, all our future-owned um, new builds that they will be dual fuel for operation on a carbon neutral fuel and uh, for operation on fuel oil. and. Um, we start by um, implementing methanol because that is the solution that is there and uh, there we are also planning to use green methanol so that's actually an opportunity to go to a carbon neutral solution and start making uh, impact in uh, terms of co2 reduction um, uh, further down the line, we also see um, ammonia once, um, as it was mentioned several times also um, by other speakers, once the technical um, feasibility um, is there, and uh, this can be uh, handled in a safe manner. But but we think it's, um, uh, we go to carbon neutral solutions right away, and, and this is exactly uh, what we're doing with methanol now, yeah.
2: Right, thank you. If
4: I may, um, I, I think uh, it's it's where your intention of operation with the, that would be a very much question now. How will we develop the regulate, uh, regulations in this field? Uh, we seem to talk about carbon neutral as this is a, a defined product and that this is going to happen in the deep sea. I So far, I have not been able to identify any concrete a proposal on how IMO shall be able to issue regulations and enforce regulations uh, containing the history of the fuel. And and that means that, I think, in regional operations, you can have your your fully carbon-neutral fuel bringing carbon on board, but in the deep sea, for many years to come, you will be allowed to burn fuel Uh, or you will not be able to certify the fuel uh, history. Uh, I I would just give you a very brief uh, 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 example. I took the list in Transparency International, they have a corruption perception ranking going on. And if you take the 70 on the bottom of that list, they are major uh, providers of fuel and bunkering ports in the world. And, and I ask, uh, how can we, in the future, in the near future, establish a system where you go bunkering in one of those countries and you come to Europe or US or wherever, and show them a certificate that you bought on the pier in one of these ports, and tell the world that this is a carbon neutral fuel. When when you can't identify that fuel being green if it comes from this or that source, so I think. The, the solution on the short term is to look at fuels that don't have carbon on board so that any emissions from the vessel itself is neutral or zero. And and for, from the technical side, I think at least in, in some operations, I would go for a PTO, PTI solution where I connect the main engine. you could go deep sea main engine on MGO, but you can also have a grid on board where you can connect and use the PTO, PTI system to be able to run on electricity, or you can produce electricity and batteries. And when time allows, you can put on board other sources of energy to connect. That could be a solution in that respect.
2: Interesting.
5: um, yeah, I would like to uh, ma- make some comments and I think it's very interesting uh, what you said there. I think um, one way or the other, I mean life cycle analysis will be a key. I can see what is attractive about a fuel where no um, CO2 comes uh, out of the exhaust, but, um, but it is important to account for upstream CO2 emissions to, to see whether um, on the whole life cycle this fuel actually has a, has a benefit to general greenhouse gas uh, emissions or not, so it needs to be a well-to-wake uh, life cycle analysis, and also it needs to include all the greenhouse gases in it. I I
4: I I uh, truly agree, but I don't see the tools that you have in the international deep sea shipping. That that's my point. I I don't see how you can enforce it. How you, how you're really going there. And that's, that's my concern is that we, we take it for granted, that we don't have the tools. And if uh, the early discussions in IMO on this subject, IMO took the stand that the, uh, the uh, history of the fuel has to be handled by the production country. That's a part of the Paris agreement for the, each country producing the fuel, but the shipping would have to consider the emissions from the ship itself. Now we're into a discussion, which is very demanding when it comes to legal uh and and the organization how to handle it so uh i, I personally think that the uh any levy uh, of a significant size that can really collect money to support the uh this shift that would be a great help but even so they, that's also the challenge for the organization to really establish a system that can be reliable and and uh, and safe
2: Thank you. Um, it's, uh, I mean, uh, we, several of you have, have touched upon the biofuels uh, and already using biofuels. And we, from where we're sitting, that several owners are actually blending in 5, 10, 15, even 10% biofuels in, um, in the fuel composition. But we also got synfuels, and of course, uh, ammonia is a synthesized uh, fuel. Uh, An alternative to synthesize the hydrogen with nitrogen is to to combine it with uh, CO2 and either produce methanol or methane, synthetic methane. And of course, when it comes to to methane, uh, the big, big thing. Today is uh, methane slip. Uh, from well to wake, uh, concentrating on from the tank to wake, uh, it seems that uh, it's uh, something that could be handled quite uh, well. Uh, the MAN uh, methane slip is very low and winter um, and, uh, 2 gas and diesel with the second generation engines are cutting slip as uh, considerably. So, without focusing on what's happening on board, I mean, it's it's the well-to-tank uh, slip that is important, and and of course, if you introduce uh, synthetic methane, uh, it's it's possible to control it uh, quite well, but using synthetic methane rather than ammonia? I mean, we have an infrastructure in place, we have all the uh, financial products, we could have green certificates, etc, etc. Wouldn't it be more uh, an easier way to decarbonize by going for synthetic methane rather than uh, ammonia? Are there any viewpoints on that, please?
7: I think maybe just I'll comment. I think um, with all of the fuels, there are technological hurdles to be overcome. And it's the case with the synthetic fuels as well, to make sure that on a well to wake basis, they are zero. And my understanding, certainly for some of the synthetic fuels is they will require either carbon capture on the vessel because in burning the fuel, they are not zero, or they will require direct air capture to be able to enable them to be well to wake zero. but I know that there are projects looking at some of those, and I think that's the important thing in the shipping industry at the moment, which um, Jesse referred to at the beginning, is that the number of projects looking at the pathways to zero carbon fuels is increasing. And for us now our choices, the focus is on what can we do to reduce emissions today, particularly energy efficiency and the use of LNG. Um, where we are on a well to wake basis looking at how do we reduce the methane slip that you talked about, but also the R&D needed to deliver the zero carbon fuels, and looking across sectors to see what other sectors are doing that shipping can piggyback on.
2: Thank you. Any, anybody else that would like to comment on on this? I think I think what
3: you're probably hearing from all of us is that um, we're not, fortunately, we're not talking about winners and losers. Um, we're all talking about solutions, and I think that's that's the kind of language that that this needs because this isn't a competitive environment. And of course, ultimately, there will be a cost attached to whatever fuel we use, and that will drive a bottom line profit. But at the end of the day, whatever people choose and whatever mechanism people choose to, to, to price that, um, will others will follow on that path. So, and there will be different horses for different courses and uh, short sea shipping as Per was referring to, will certainly lead the way in, 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 a, in, a, in a very clear environment that will suit the short sea, short, short sea shipping industry. Um, and, you know, that might be different in South America to what it is in the Baltic region, um, but, that's okay. You know, we're not we're not in, into competing on that level. On the deep sea fleet, I think the liner trades will ultimately determine a lot of what the, the blue ocean fleet will start to use, because the liner trades will have the predictable volumes and they'll have the predictable locations that um, an, an infrastructure can be built around. For those of us who are in the tramping trades, you know, we'll have to we'll have to follow on that um, that sort of trajectory. But we understand that and uh, we can already start to take views today um, on the basis of what that's going to look like. The
6: the good thing here is that, uh, you know, normally the ship owners are at the end of the stick when it comes to to all these regulations and what what is changing. But here, I think we're a little bit uh, more or we are actually more together with our customers, our charters, to find solutions because we, we all have the same goal. To reduce emissions and, and uh, the charters obviously need to, to pick up a major part of the bill uh, otherwise this will never work
4: if, if I may uh, I fully agree I think the, the shift comes with the, the uh, end user or the uh, cargo owners we, we need to get them on board and that's what we see in the project in Norway on whether it be the electric or hydrogen or ammonia projects, they're all driven by the cargo owners, and that's that's extremely important. Another issue is just, just to mention that they, uh, what I think we will have to see is that there will be national and regional regulations being different from the global regulations, and that's something in deep sea we hate, but I think we had to realize that's the way it's going to be. And that's that's one way of making this shift starting. And then you can build the infrastructure locally and then you can gradually grow and take it into the deep sea because we all want this to happen. And just a final word, I, I feel sometimes that the politicians are in a way they want to punish the shipping industry for being polluters. We are just a tool in the trade or in the world trade. And I think it's it's very important that the industry itself is proactive and showing interest and have the ambition to really make this happen and, and assist politicians in a constructive way so that we don't end up, as we did with the sulfur discussions, with all ship owners against regulators, because that then we lose creditability. So we need to help finding the solutions and then guide the politicians to get their regulations right.
2: Thank you. I'm uh, I'm looking at some of the questions that have uh, come in here, and uh, uh, I noticed also this morning in an interview in uh, Danish uh, shipping uh, news, uh, shipping watch that uh, uh, Vatsla is uh, is uh, writing off uh, hydrogen as uh, as one of the future fuels and. uh, The question is, Betsy has told us that hydrogen will play a niche role as a fuel for the shipping industry in the future. What are your thoughts? Uh, Anybody that would like
7: to? I think we're at the stage at the moment where we need to be looking for solutions. Obviously, different participants will have different strengths in the industry and therefore will do the research and development and the projects that that fit with their strengths. We certainly do see a role for hydrogen in a deep sea environment. Um, We also see, I noticed one of the questions was about fuel cells, we also see the potential for fuel cells in a deep-sea environment. Um, But that probably, that reflects the fact that obviously we are a deep-sea operator of vessels and therefore we are going to focus, and our customers are mainly deep-sea operators of vessels, and therefore we will focus on the R&D where we have strengths. But as the report Jesse described at the beginning, there are a lot of projects and we need to see how they develop. But fundamentally, I think our view is that the future fuel of shipping is a hydrogen-based fuel, and efficiency is critically important. And we shouldn't um, ever forget that.
2: Right. Thank you. Uh, I see that the time is uh, running out now. So uh, I think I'll just uh, wrap this up. I mean, I, I, I think that's one thing that I, I observed in, in the past one to two years uh, in uh, compared to uh, the, uh, let's say, the, the sulfur cap uh, that was introduced at the beginning of 2020, that the shipping industry was in total denial of the sulfur cap, not not everybody, not total, but I mean, generally speaking, in denial of the sulfur cap as late as in, in, in 2018. Uh, the difference now, when it comes to decarbonisation, which is also, I mean, definitely in the uh, the strategy of, of the IMO, is that this is taken seriously in all corners. And as the report presented at the beginning shows, I mean, there are so many initiatives, small and big, on various types of fuels, on various types of technology, and so on and so forth. And I believe you think I believe that what what you have told the audience now is that uh do all the small steps do what you can develop and and innovate i mean it's research and innovation rather than research and, and development there will be a price tag attached to this that's that's for sure um and uh, my impression is that what you're signaling is that uh own ship- owners and charters cargo owners are in the same boat and that there will be a cost pass-through that will finance this transition uh, and finally there is no uh, final solution here. there there's not one single uh, carbon zero fuel that will win this game but we will see a mix varying between something used in the short sea trades something used in the trend trades and something used in in the liner trades and we will see a mix of decarbonized fuels going forward that was what I was going to sum up Uh, I mean I've still got a few minutes if anyone of you would like to add something to that please please raise your hand Right, then I think I'll just say thank you to all for participating in this panel. And thank you to the audience as well, of course. And I'll leave the floor to you again, Nicholas.
0: Well, all, all I want to say is thank you. It has been a great session, very comprehensive, very insightful, um, very interesting topic uh, for the industry right now. And thank you to all for sharing your insight and well, uh, thank you for uh, moderating the discussion. Thank you very much.